What's up, everyone? Welcome to Season Gaming Big Cast, Episode 18. I'm your host, Ainsley Bowden, joined by usual by Bert Signs, or as I prefer to call him, Mr. Amiibo. And this week, we're going to be talking about uh, Xbox Game Pass and what that means for the future of game purchasing, along with a whole lot of news that's happened over the past two weeks since we were last here. Kind of feels like it's been forever. So Xbox Game Pass is one of the biggest things we want to talk about, but that's actually going to be our main topic today. So we'll wait to get to that until that segment. So we'll just kick it off with the news as we normally do. Uh, First up on our list today is uh, Sea of Thieves. The technical beta is running right now. It started on Wednesday. It's running originally through Sunday, but it's been extended by two days due to uh, some server issues they were having. Go figure with the beta. And uh, its popularity has kind of been off the charts, uh, almost unexpected. It was number one on Mixer and Twitch for a few days there. It hit something like 250,000 concurrent viewers. And if you think about the fact that um, this is only a a closed beta, it's not even an open beta. This is for people who have pre-ordered only or the uh, Xbox Insider. So it's pretty impressive. And uh, the game seems to be kind of uh, hitting it off with a lot of people. Yeah, I guess it's kind of an interesting thing, too. This is the big game we've all been waiting for from Rare. So uh, I think a lot of people are kind of tuning in to the streaming sites to kind of see what it's all about. Is you know, is it what people have been hoping for? Um, I'm kind of on the fence so far just because I think it's going to be a multiplayer-only game. And with all the multiplayer games going on right now, I'm, I'm just overloaded, to say the least. But it does look really cool from what I've seen so far. Yeah, so I think I mentioned before that I've been part of the Insider. I've played it several times now. I've played it with mostly randoms, um, which has been mostly fun, to be honest. had a lot of good laughs. I did try the solo boat that they added recently. So now you can play either solo with a smaller boat uh, in like a duo with a slightly bigger boat and then uh, with four people with the the full-size boat. And uh, I can tell you what, it's pretty difficult sailing solo, uh, getting the boat going and, uh, you know, figuring out where you're going and getting the sail up or down and the anchor set in time. I actually uh, went on to my first island and ended up uh, not stopping in time, crashing into the rocks. My boat sank and then I was kind of in the middle of this island. So um, it's going to be kind of funny to see how that works out for the solo players. But to your point, it's definitely a blast in multiplayer lobbies. But um, it's good to see uh, it's good to see it getting a lot of exposure. We've been talking about it for a long time. So I hope that that kind of trend continues. And I hope people do keep in mind, of course, that the beta is a really small slice of the full game. It only has a small chunk of, you know, all the things you can do in the progression based on what we've seen and heard from the people who have seen the full game. So yeah, all I hear about is how beautiful the water looks in that game. Yeah, yeah, it is, especially if you're on Xbox One X and, uh, you know, on a higher end TV or 4K TV, just the uh, the HDR and the, the way the the sun and the you know the nighttime the lightning even hits the water and the way it moves it's just really really stunning it's it's a interesting art style that i think has really come to uh come to life now with the game nearing release so uh god of war another game we've been talking about for a very long time uh since we last chatted finally has its release date so it's coming on april 20th And to kind of celebrate the announce of the launch date, Sony also released a long story trailer, what was about three and a half minutes long, uh, showing more of um, Kratos and Atreus. And they also announced that they're going to have some special uh, additions, including a digital deluxe edition, which, you know, we kind of see nowadays for nearly every game, but also a uh, limited edition uh, with a steel book and, you know, a few extras and then uh, collector's edition of which a uh, certain percentage will be what they call the Stone Mason Collector's Edition, which uh, comes with a statue and some uh, little carvings and, uh, and a whole bunch of goodies. So as soon as I saw the uh, Stone Mason Edition, I was sold. I already have it pre-ordered and um, you know, really looking forward to the game. I think it's going to be a really strong reboot for that franchise. 
Yeah. Um, one of the things, and really quick, if, if you're looking for it to go in completely blind to this game, the story trailer did give us some more details about Kratos in general. You know, is this a different Kratos? Is it the same one from the old games? And from what we've seen in the trailer, it does appear the same one from the old ones, but I won't mention anything else about that. So I, I was really interested in that. I didn't know if they were going to reboot it as if the original didn't happen, but um, it, it looks like they're not doing that. But um, I can't wait for it. I've, I've played literally every God of War game, even some of the, the recent ones that weren't, you know, the best, like Ascension and stuff, and I played the PSP games, and I loved them all. So uh, Kratos is probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite, uh, franchise person on the Sony side. So I, I can't wait for this game. And I also have them all pre-ordered as well for the Mason, uh, still Mason edition, so can't wait for it. All right, Kratos may be a badass, but he's no Joel. I mean, or, or Ellie, for that matter. Come on, or Nathan Drake. Uh, well, what are you yeah, talking yeah, about? I don't even. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I, it's pretty close for me. I, 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 I forget about Joel and Ellie, but uh, yeah, other than that. <laughs> um, so I have only played a few of the God Awards, actually. Um, I don't think. Uh, no, I've played one, two, and three. Um, they've never been a big franchise for me. The whole third-person action game. I, I just, I don't know. As I got older, I didn't play it as often. But this one. Um, despite it looking more in the vein of a lot of the Sony first-party titles with that kind of third-person uh, third over-the-shoulder view, um, I think this one I'm going to like more just because of the direction of the game. It looks to be something more up my alley, so I'm excited about that for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm really big into mythology uh, in general with you know Zeus and all of them, so when I saw them bringing those out and how they all changed throughout the series, it was big for me. So, badass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to see where they go in this one, right? Because this is potentially, as you said, it's the same Kratos, but it's obviously so many years in the future. So um be interesting to see what other gods or characters we see throughout the uh, the campaign. And it's supposed to be, I believe, estimates were saying 25 to 30 hours long. So it seems wow. to be a pretty large game. Right. Can't wait. Okay, so also coming on April 20th, funny enough, is the what could be defined as the polar opposite of god of war and that is nintendo labo or labo um we haven't talked uh on uh, on our channel here about labo since it was announced this is uh something that i don't think anybody saw coming um a very unique implementation of the switch and some of the unique feature set of the switch like the joy cons and the uh the hd rumble but this is um yeah. I really don't know what to say about this one. Half of me thinks it's really cool, and I think that it will um, it will get kids doing something with their Switch that is separate from just playing games head down. I mean, we always talk nowadays, or at least parents do, and people that are old like me do, um, about how kids these days are really just in their screen, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours a day, what have you. And uh, it's kind of neat to think that this is a console that now is going to support building you know, actual physical building. Um, so I think that's really neat. But at the same time, you know, there's always, there's been the jokes around that Nintendo has figured out a way to sell people cardboard. And um, it's kind of comical when you look at it that way, because we always joke about how, you know, Nintendo does really strange things. And yet, no matter what we think about it, it sells and it sells well. And sure enough, I think it was the day after this was announced, uh, you know, the Labo kits were like number two and three on the Amazon video game bestsellers list. So, who knows? But I know um, you know you're the the bigger Nintendo fan. I would say out of the two of us. So, what are your thoughts on Labo? 
Yeah, Nintendo fanboy checking in. Um, but yeah, so a couple things. So the first thing is the Nintendo Labo does come with the software with it. So when you're looking at the, I think the variety kit, the, the non-robot kit, I think it's $69.99. So it's $10 more than a standard game that's new. Um, but you do get that cardboard. Uh, even at that point, I don't know if cardboard's worth $10. <laughs> but um then the, I think the robot kit goes for 80, so you have some more things attached to it. But yeah, in general, I, I one thing that people forget a lot about is Nintendo started making toys before they actually went into software and stuff. So I'm kind of curious if they're kind of trying to mix a little bit of that with the two of them and, and see how it goes. But at the end of the day, it seems like a really cool thing for Nintendo to do with their console. You know, you can take it apart, you can do build things with it, and kind of do things and and, and the cardboard stuff. I think there was like a little super slow moving RC car and all the other things you can do. So to me, it looks like a really cool idea. I think it's more designed for kids, obviously. I think for adults, they'll kind of mess with it a couple times and then be like, okay, that was cool and put it aside. But I don't know. I'm very interested to see if it picks up as to what Nintendo is expecting, but I'm, I think it will, but who knows? I mean, the Nintendo, we had all these awesome commercials on things you could do with it and it didn't sell all the third party software that, that well, but I don't know. You never can tell with Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right about, you know, for if I would think if my youngest son was younger, um, this would be something really cool. And I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, this is going to be amazing for my three and four and five year old to kind of get them into using the switch a little more and different things they can do with it. So we'll see. I mean, it's not far off now. And every time we seem to doubt Nintendo, they prove us wrong. So at this point, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and uh, see what happens. Yeah. And something really cool before we step away. So I know that um, this this might be really good for kids that have like autism or have any kind of disabilities and maybe they're very into electronics or, or building things or Legos. I know one of my really good friends is a kindergarten teacher and we have a lot of uh, special ed teachers in our family that you know do this stuff. And these types of uh, kids in general love putting things together. Um, and so this might be something that expands their horizons with you know technology. So it might be amazing for development uh, that's outside of just the fun factor, but who knows, we'll see. Yeah, it's an excellent point, really. And it's um, it's almost a uh, heartwarming point, right? Because we know a lot of the kids who love video games or just love the look of them and want to play them with those disabilities don't always have the opportunity to do so. So maybe this is a way to expand that Switch uh, audience in that vein. Um, moving over to something that has next to zero impact compared to what we were just talking about is uh, Battlefront 2. So Star Wars Battlefront 2, uh, we haven't talked about too much lately, but the, the whole kind of uh, thing we talked about with the debacle when that game launched and the whole progression in loot boxes, um, they announced that they're going to come on, they are going to revamp the progression system a couple months ago. And so they've come out just this week and said that they've been working hard on it and the new progression system is going to debut in March. They didn't really give any full details yet, but I'm, uh, you know, I still enjoy that game and I'm interested to see what they do with it. So I hope it's something good that'll, uh, you know, put some longevity behind that because in theory, that game should really run through 2019. And it'll have the opportunity of uh, implementing some further DLC, especially with the solo movie, which is coming later this year, I believe, right? Um, is it this summer? Um, gosh, I can't remember. Cause Actually, I think yeah. you're right. It may be May, right? Uh, I can't remember. I, I have not seen any trailers or anything for it. I only know about the canon films, the episodes when those come out. Those are always the fall. And they're always a year after the one that releases. But there has to be an in-between, kind of like Rogue One. So I think that is coming. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I, maybe I should not make a habit of bringing up things I don't know the actual dates to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but 
but anyway, uh, you know, I'm interested to see what that is. And and despite all the flack the game got, it has, you know, it has a lot of players on it. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what that is. I do have um, a um, date for you. I did search it. Okay. It is May 25th, 2018. So, yeah, you're right in May. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of started that summer movie season. So kind of funny. We haven't even seen a trailer for it yet. But yeah, I wow. think there was a teaser. Um, I don't recall yeah. seeing a full a full thing on it, but it'd be interesting. Okay. Um, you know, I don't want to get us too off track here, but you think yeah, about Han, Han Solo and the, again, going back like we talked about with uh, uh, Luke Skywalker and The Last Jedi and some of the things, some of the things Disney did with him. You know, you look at Han Solo and he's like been an icon for 40 years now and people have a incredibly fond memory and thought, you know, thoughts of him from growing up. So this is very dangerous ground, I would say. If they mess this one up, it's there's going to be a lot of outrage. But. Yeah, the simple thing that I was going to say about um, just Battlefront, I think it needs something really, really positive to kind of uh, impact what's happened. If I, I saw some sales numbers, and I think it only sold like a third of the numbers that Call of Duty World War, World War II sold, which is kind of disappointing. Um, if you haven't played this game, you know, give it a try, rent it, do the red box thing, whatever it needs to to see if you like it. But the story mode itself is worth something. Um, multiplayer, maybe not for everybody, but it is playable by anybody because it's it's got that you know almost anybody can play feature to it, so it's cool. But I think it needs some positive news in the uh, in the media just to kind of get that hype back in some form. Yeah, and that's probably if I had to, if I was the company, right? You think about how they're going to tie that together. Um, you would think that the new progression system would launch. They'd have a promotion, then the solo DLC will hit and kind of get that player base back going. Probably, we'll probably see some specials in EA and Origin Access, I would imagine. Um, so we'll see. Um, so this is kind of a big one, one that really excites me, and that's Bioware kind of getting back into the groove of things with uh, Casey Hudson returning. They've formally confirmed they're working on the next Dragon Age. So that was confirmed by Mark Dara, who is the executive producer on the series. Uh, and Casey Hudson mentioned yesterday, the day before, that he thinks uh, fans are going to be very pleased with the direction they're going with Dragon Age. I obviously don't know what that means, but I was one of those people who loved Origins. As with many people, thought Dragon Age 2 was a little too linear, too streamlined. You know, it really didn't feel like a good RPG like Origins did. And then Inquisition, I thought, was excellent. Um, one of my favorite rpgs in recent times uh just a huge world the dragons were amazing and the way you could build parties and kind of combat the world were really cool too um so i just hope they they keep that going and uh at the same time they uh they mentioned that they're staffing up on anthem so but anthem has been likely delayed to 2019 i think to the surprise of nearly no one you know i think we both agreed that was probably going to be a 2019 title anyway so i just hope that anthem um is done right i really want to see anthem come out and take the destiny model that kind of not really mmo but kind of that shared shooter approach on console and just do it properly you know have a solid progression system with good loot and some type of end game that just is not grinding, grinding, grinding the same boring thing over and over again. Destiny, in my opinion, and I'll probably piss some people off, but Destiny, in my opinion, has failed massively in that area. And Bungie just doesn't seem to get it. Um, they don't seem, they've had three or four years now to kind of get what, you know, um, would really satisfy players like myself or stop outraging their fans. And they, they don't seem to be going the right direction. So we'll see if Bioware can. 
Yeah, they don't seem to get it because people keep buying it and playing it nonstop. But you know, with the <laughs> stuff that's happening with with Destiny Two, their player count is is falling very fast. And some recent stuff that came out was pretty un unfortunate as far as people that are still playing it compared to people that bought it. But um, to the main story here, I mean, I, I really hope Anthem does well. I'm going to be holding off a, a bit after launch because of um, kind of Bioware's track record with bugs and glitches in their games as of late. Um, Dragon Age, I, I gotta be honest with you guys, I only played Inquisition. I didn't play any of the previous ones despite people telling me about it. I was really high on Mass Effect for a long time, but you know, I didn't play Dragon Age until Inquisition came out and I loved Inquisition. Funny enough, I think that was the RPG to have with the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 when it first came out. And it was, it, it stayed that way for a while until some newer titles came out. But hopefully it's good news. I think um, to your point, I think all of us predict that there was no way Anthem was gonna release in 2018. Um, and it might even be later in 2019 when we actually see it. I hope we see more of it at E3 or any kind of you know function coming up with it because we really haven't seen anything outside of that one trailer. And um, there's been just very mixed news on Bioware in general. So. We'll see what happens, but I, I hope it's, it does well at the end of the day. Yeah, and uh, so on your Dragon Age point, um, yeah, Inquisition was excellent. I believe it was Game of the Year 2014 uh, for a lot of you know publications at the time. We weren't even a publication at the time. Um, but it's an excellent game. It's funny that you mentioned Mass Effect because I know how much you love Mass Effect um, and just that style of game because you're a big Knights of the Old Republic fan too, right? Oh yeah, I, I still have those, and uh, on PC, funny enough, um, but I, I, I need to actually get another copy of the Xbox version. Yeah, so in that case, the reason I bring that up is uh, you should really, I know backlogs are impossible, but if you ever get a chance to go back and play Origins, the first Dragon Age, because it was made by that same team with the same methodology, it is a uh, very story-driven RPG, you customize your character, it's... Uh, that same type of combat where you can control each party member and kind of freeze them and cast a spell and then control them to do something else. The story is amazing. The you travel all over the place. It, it's an excellent, excellent game. Dragon Age two got away from that. I really wasn't a big fan, but Dragon Age Origins and it is backwards compatible too on Xbox One. So wow. if you ever get a chance, you can pick that game up for nothing nowadays. Um, and it's it's fantastic. Never never forget Jade Empire, by the way. Jade Empire. Yeah. I, God. I think if uh, I, I've seen so many people ask for Jade Empire 2, you know, that would be just an amazing dormant IP for Bioware once they get through Anthem and Dragon Age to just, you know, surprise us with in like 2020. That'd be awesome. But I don't know. I don't think we're that lucky. Anyway, moving on. Um, speaking of RPGs, though, this is good segue. Microsoft, and we haven't talked about this yet, is Microsoft is apparently reviving Fable. Um, this wasn't a huge surprise. There's been a lot of kind of underlying speculation and whispers about this happening for a while now. Um, but there's multiple credible sources saying that this is happening and better yet, or I should, you know, we don't know, but I think better yet, Play Playground Games is doing it. So we knew that Playground Games, the developers of Forza Horizon, were staffing up to do a second project. The talk at the time was that they were doing that. It was going to be an open world action type RPG, but that it was not going to be Microsoft exclusive. It was going to be something um, that allowed that company to grow, that development studio to grow that uh, could be on all platforms. So the speculation now, of course, is that Microsoft approached them and said, hey, why don't you take this tech that you're building you know, this game on take our dormant fable ip that everyone wants to see return 
and bring it to life. And they are a UK developer, so that is critical to Fable if you know anything about the franchise. And they're an excellent developer as well. So if they're staffing up, it's under that same direction. We've got the UK staff there and hopefully you you know British sense of humor, which we've chatted about. This could be really, really good news, especially for the Microsoft camp, because obviously if it's Fable, it's exclusive. Microsoft owns that IP. It's not going to, uh, you know, it's not going to show up on other consoles. This will be another kind of notch in their uh, belt for the uh, Xbox One and, and Windows PCs. So this seems like good news on the surface. Um, well, you have to see how it turns out. As someone mentioned or other people have mentioned, you know, Fable is now old. Fable 3 was nearly 10 years ago, believe it or not. So this is a fable that's going to be coming out in a post-Skyrim, post-Witcher 3, post-Dragon Age Inquisition world. And Western-style RPGs have uh, really changed since the last fable was popular. So they've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, I, I hope it's good. I mean, we I guess we haven't even seen an official announcement on it or anything or a trailer or a teaser or anything on it. I really want to see what, the, what direction they're going to go in. I know Molyneux has mentioned a few things about it and what it could be as far as story-wise. And um, I, I think it's important for Microsoft to have something like that coming out. And the funny thing is they're going to kind of land in a ton of competition for the genre in general. I mean, that, um, that you know, fantasy, you know, magic, all that kind of stuff with, you know, your witchers, you have um, Dragon Age, as we were just talking about. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff they're going to have to go against. I hope that they revolutionize the way, you know, your fetch quests go, because I think with that open world game that's super popular right now, I think that's getting kind of old and tired in general, where, you know, hey, go meet Joe and go talk to Jane, and then she'll give you this, and then you got to go do this, and you go right back to the main point. I think that's getting kind of annoying now. Um, and in order to be kind of a, a successful open world game, you have to do that differently. You can't just be like the rest of them. So I think they're going to have to do something like that, and I hope they do something um, because it's, it's, it's a big franchise for Microsoft, and they need to kind of push it. I, I actually wouldn't be surprised if it's not until 2020 that we see it. So I don't know. It's going to be kind of a, the most best kept secret if it comes out here in 2018 or 2019 no i'm completely with you i i don't think we'll see it till at the absolute earliest a game like that would be fall of 2019 but i just don't see it happening you know even if they started working on this last year that's only two years of development um two and a half years for a an open world rpg in today's age there's no there's just no way um which which of course begs the question like we talked about last betcast with cyberpunk 2077 is if it does come out in 2020 is that a next generation title could it be something like a launch title for the xbox Tui or xbox whatever the hell they decide to name the next one xbox uh, Tui. wow <laughs> my xbox 2x um but you know you know i mean who knows i guess we'll see uh it'll be really cool to see if we see a teaser at e3 um that would be neat just to kind of spark that interest but i know microsoft has also said or phil spencer has said i should say that they're not fans or they're going to try and shy away from showing those teaser trailers where the game's not coming out for three years because they don't think that does their fan base uh any benefit so we'll see maybe they could do kind of what they did with metroid prime they just flash the fable <laughs> words and be like uh when we're done there isn't that actually that's just actually what most people should do these days instead of saying coming in 2019 and 2020 i hate when they do that so i don't know whatever we'll see what happens should be fun. yeah metro prime 4 is a, a perfect example right because it was like here's a logo and nintendo fans went nuts and it's like all right calm down 
Like, yeah. I get it. Trust me, I'm, I'll be there with you on day one. But this doesn't mean anything. This could be four years away. It's it's the whole Death Stranding debacle all over again, you know? A lot of games like that, I can there's a lot more than Death Stranding. Yeah, that's true. That's just one that just comes to mind. But anyway. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on to a different topic. Uh, one that should interest all gamers, really, and that is uh, Overwatch. The Overwatch League actually kicked off last week, and man, it was uh, it was big. It um, it saw something like several several hundred thousand. I should have looked up the numbers. I'm sorry, um, but it was it was bigger numbers than Blizzard anticipated for concurrent viewers of uh, the Overwatch Pro League. And uh, it was across a whole bunch of different kind of avenues watching the game, as you would expect. Um, but I think what this shows, right, is that the production values were higher. Blizzard did a really good job on it. And as streaming gets bigger and esports really grow, which they are um, exponentially so, really, uh, it's neat to see a company like Blizzard that has the capability to put on a show like this and do a production like this um, see kind of push that bar, to, you know, to see what we can. Uh, expect when a company does it right and uh it's exciting i think we should all be excited about this i mean how cool would it be and 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 we've done this to very small degrees but i mean how cool would it be if it's uh, just a a weekday night you know it's like wednesday night gaming you know instead of hockey or football or whatever and it's just you know guys playing pro one of the games you love right there on national tv and you know i think the future is headed that way. Esports is just growing at that rate. And the more companies like Blizzard uh, fund things like the Overwatch League and really show that it's not some immature, just kids goofing around, um, the better off this is going to be. So I, I thought this was pretty cool. I didn't really watch. I'm not a big Overwatch fan, but I'm just excited about the news for all of us, honestly. Yeah, um, some numbers to kind of give you a heads up as to how big it was. Let me look at my screen here so I say this correctly. But over the whole week of the Overwatch League, it was more than 10 million people viewed throughout that entire week. Um, the highest that it peaked at a specific time was 430,000. Okay. So um, yep. I was close. I thought I said several. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty nuts. I mean, when you, when you think about it as far as like other events like World Series, Super Bowl, I mean, it's it's more than that over, over that time. So I think esports is getting massive and with Overwatch being what it is, it's kind of cool to see that happen. Yeah, I mean, Overwatch is another one of those cultural games, right? It's it struck something within the industry that just hits a large number of people, and they love it. Um, but to your point about the numbers, I do remember reading, and I think I even texted this to you, funny enough, is that um, they announced that it was more viewers on the Overwatch League concurrent than uh, NFL saw out of Thursday night football any, any Thursday night during the 2017 season. Yep. So that's Which is pretty um, nuts. I yeah, mean, you, you think of like a game like Dota, who like triples that number. Yeah, and League <laughs> of Legends, right? Dota and League, yeah. League of Legends are huge. Um, so kind of crazy, but uh, I think it's awesome. So, and speaking of uh, games that are setting the world on fire, here we go again. Uh, PUBG, we're back on it. So they announced this week it has hit four million players on Xbox, which is funny because if you recall in our last Bitcast. I mentioned that they had announced 3 million viewers, or excuse me, players, um, but that was through uh, December 31st. So I said at the time, it wouldn't surprise me if they announced we're hitting 4 million any day now, and sure enough, here we go. So they've already hit 4 million. They are celebrating with Xbox players by uh, giving away 30,000 battle points to every single player who creates a character and plays a game before January 31st. So you've got a couple of days left. If you still haven't jumped on the PUBG train, but you're thinking about it, 
if you get in there before the 31st, create your character, play a match, you'll end up with 30,000 battle points to just open some crates for some cosmetic items uh, sometime after February 1st is what they said officially. Um, but even better, and I, I am going to promote this, of course, but um, Extra Life, the company that we have written about in the past who works with popular streamers and games to promote uh, game streaming to help kids uh, because they work with the children's Miracle Network, which is a network of hospitals across the country um, that do really, really good work uh, all over the nation, like I said. Uh, and it's 100% of profits go to the uh, to the hospitals that the streamers support uh, have announced that they're doing a PUBG event. So uh, it doesn't matter if you're on Xbox or PC. If you sign up and play PUBG for Extra Life, they are going to match donations dollar for dollar up to $300,000 for um, the Children's Miracle Network. So uh, I'll talk more about this a little later because I have joined, but I just wanted to mention that as part of the PUBG news because I thought it was kind of cool that it all hit at once, that they're announcing you know, continued growth, the reward for fans, and uh, the charity event as well. Yeah, big deal for charities. I'm, I'm really into charity in general. So, you know, if you haven't had a chance to take a look at it, just look at the site, you know, follow Ains as he goes and, and um, does this. We've, I think we promoted it on our Facebook page, but um, how can they find you on there, Ains, if they're not on our Facebook page or know you personally? Yeah, so um, I will, um, you can find me on Twitter as always, and we'll talk about, I was going to talk about this uh, later as well, but, um, you know, I'm Porsche Power everywhere. Um, so you can find me in our Facebook group, which is a great way to find us, uh, all of us, actually, Bert and I and, and a bunch of other people of Season Gaming fans. Find us on Twitter, Season Gaming, Porsche Power, Trev underscore M3. It'll be promoted there. And then just on Season Gaming. So on the site, um, there's an article I put up about the PUBG hitting 4 million with a link to my ID. Um, but you can find me as Porsche Power or, you know, my real name, Ainsley Bowden, uh, on the Extra Life site as well. So if you just kind of Google Extra Life PUBG, it'll come up right away and you can find me. In fact, thank you to Bert and thank you to some other people who donated. I'm actually number two on the leaderboard right now for donations uh, because I got in early. I don't think I'll be there at the end, um, but I'm doing my best to kind of promote. So. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. So that's, uh, that's going to cover the news. Like I said, uh, the Xbox game pass thing, we're going to save for our main topic here shortly. There's a few other things we want to talk about before we get there, uh, specifically developer related. Um, since we last chatted a couple big things have happened across the industry, which we always touch on. So, uh, kind of a, a funny name given us talking about sea of thieves. And it was obviously was a running joke here over the past couple of weeks, but Matt booty, who is uh, who already worked for Microsoft as a pretty at a pretty high level? He was the former CEO of Midway um, for a number of years. And back in 2008, he was promoted to the CEO of Midway. He was promoted by Phil Spencer to the head of Microsoft Studios. So what that means is for first-party development for Microsoft, which they've been very clear they're investing in much more heavily. He is now basically the number two you know, Xbox guy, if you will. So Phil Spencer is obviously number one and Phil Spencer sits on the board for Microsoft overall, which we've chatted or uh, commented on before. But Matt Booty is now ahead of all Microsoft internal development, um, which means he's number two overall. So that's uh, that's kind of a big uh, a big deal for both him and uh, Microsoft in general, because he's a long time industry guy. Um, I believe he started with Midway in the early 90s and he's been around uh, all the way from coding 
and testing all the way through being a CEO and now the head of Microsoft Studio. So he definitely knows gaming. Yeah, I think this is a good thing overall. I mean, as we've kind of seen, uh, Microsoft has kind of you know flipped things around the last year and a half, even maybe two years as far as uh, Xbox One goes and even some other PC stuff that they've done. So I think this is more kind of just trying to kind of evolve a little bit with Phil Spencer at the head there. So I hope this is good news and um, I hope Mr. Booty does well. <laughs> Yeah, so um, we already kind of commented on this one, but uh, it was formally announced that BioWare was staffing up even more um, for Anthem. So, you know, I think just based on the way the industry is going, the fallout from Destiny 2, as we touched on, they said due to mounting pressures for Anthem. So I think they know that Anthem has the potential to be a just a, you know, a blockbuster. Um, and I think it's had that potential since we first saw it. But I think just knowing where we are in the industry, where Destiny's headed in that timeline, if they truly deliver a AAA product with Anthem and it comes in early or mid-2019, uh, if you think about what that timeline means, right, it's going to be at the tail end of Destiny 2 DLC, and Destiny 2 is not in a good place right now. Um, and it's going to be well before Bungie can respond with Destiny 3 or whatever they do in the future. Um, Anthem could really take over and really, you know, build a player base rather quickly. I think a lot of people are going to be looking forward to it. So, um, I think Bioware just knows and Electronic Arts knows that they need to get this one right. So, it's, like we said, doesn't surprise me that they're staffing up. Doesn't surprise me that it's moved to 2019. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about it, and I'll be quick, is um, I, I don't, I don't know what really that means as far as what the current status of Anthem is. I don't know if they've kind of maybe gone through testing and then it's just really buggy or if there's issues or maybe they're having to redo certain sections of the game or maybe they're changing things. I don't know. There's been a lot of speculation about it. A lot of people have said that Anthem in its current state is very broken. Um, I don't know if there's any truth to that. I'm definitely not going to start a rumor about it or anything, but I'm, it just, I, I hope that that means that the end product of Anthem will be a good one. So let's see what happens. It, it kind of needs to be because if not, I'm losing a lot of faith in the direction Bioware is going in in general. And that's a key point, right? And I completely agree with you. But Bioware was this legendary studio. You know, I mean, you we already talked about it. Knights of the Old Republic and uh, Jade Empire and Mass Effect series. And, you know, we could go back and back because they've been around a long time. But they are a legendary RPG developer. Um, they're getting into an area here where after Andromeda and after some of the recent things, they tried to expand. They didn't obviously do it as well as people expected and so they've got anthem and dragon age coming and if even one of those two falters or comes out and it's not very good i don't think their um their kind of brand uh name or awareness whatever you want to call it is going to be nearly as strong as it once was but anyway moving on so uh last piece of developer updates and another big one here it's kind of funny a lot of shifting around but the ceo of activision Eric Hirschberg is stepping down. So it'll officially take place in March. They currently have not named his replacement. It seems voluntarily, voluntary. Um, it seems the companies are on good terms. He's just ready to move on. But if you think about when he came on, he's been the CEO for nearly a decade, I believe. And since he's been CEO, you know, you think about Activision, they now own Blizzard. Um, Call of Duty has been the number one selling franchise for eight years in a row. Um, I mean, it's just been, they've killed it. They have grown and the profits, you know, have been astronomical. In fact, I think just in microtransactions, they made something like 3 billion last year. 
Um, so I, I, I can only imagine, you know, the type of money he's made and how he's uh, regarded in the industry from a CEO perspective, but he's, uh, he's definitely hit those heights. And so if, um, if he's stepping down and choosing to do so, they're wishing him well, and, uh, it'll be interesting to see who's named because, you know, uh, we're both corporate guys, um, with a lot of responsibility and thinking about coming in to be the CEO of Activision with the responsibility for call of duty and all of Blizzard's franchises, including Overwatch, which we just talked about, and things like Diablo. Um, wow. You know, you talk about responsibility. That's that's the highest amount right there. Yeah, Activision is uh, probably the biggest um, parent company of all publishers right now outside of... Gosh, I can't even think of a competitor. Uh, I, I, well, I think we talked about before, right? We didn't know if Activision or Electronic Arts was bigger. I, st I still haven't looked that yeah. up. I don't know. I honestly think that in its current state with everything, because a lot of people don't realize the studios and the companies underneath Activision, they just think of Activision as just a big company and they don't really know anything below. But when you got Blizzard and, you know, it's, it's, it's nuts. So, um, yeah, that's going to be a big job. And I, I can just imagine him probably saying, yeah, let's take a break. But let's just hope <laughs> there's not something bad going on um, somewhere. But, you know. Yeah, it's, it seemed to be... Um... You know, it seemed to be uh, amiable. So, and I just looked it up while we we're talking because I figured we need to put an end to this. Uh, so, Activision is valued, uh, estimated to be valued somewhere around nineteen billion dollars, and Electronic Arts is valued around fourteen. So, Activision is nearly fifty percent bigger than Electronic Arts in terms of value. Yeah, that's bigger than like even Sony. <laughs> so, it's kind of <laughs> which doesn't mean much right now, but as far as an oh, overall no. company, but um, yeah, that's that's bonkers. Which, you know, it's really, I don't want, again, I don't want to get us off track, but when you think about Microsoft and their company value, forget Xbox, right? What Microsoft is worth, uh, it, it's astronomical, right? I mean, they're, they're one of the biggest in the world and compared, I mean, they absolutely dwarf companies like Activision, Electronic Arts, Sony. Um, it's kind of comical to think that of all the companies, Microsoft is the one catching flack for not investing enough in first party titles, at least in the past few years. Right. So, um, strange. I don't know. Yep. Anyway, <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just had felt, I felt the need to comment on that. Cause it just yeah. seems bizarre, you know, it, it's bonkers when you think about it, just in, at the small part, you know, you think, Oh, just Activision. But then when you think about what's under them, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. You think Microsoft could throw five hundred million into you know four AAA titles development? Not even blink an eye. You know it's not it's pocket change. It's crazy. Anyway, um, only one rumor to cover today, and then we'll move on uh, to uh, new releases and what we're playing. But uh, this is a funny one, so I threw it on here, and that is that John Cena, the former WWE wrestler, and uh, I think everyone knows who he is. He's made the transition to acting, and uh, apparently has done quite well. Um, no matter what you think of the guy, um, he seems like a, a, a good guy and a decent human being. Um, so the rumor is that he is in talks to play Duke Nukem. Um, so for those that uh, don't know what's going on with Duke Nukem, as many don't nowadays, uh, Gearbox owns that IP. And Duke Nukem Forever, um, which we're certainly not going to talk about because that game was a disaster from beginning to end and one of the biggest stories of gaming for years. Um, came out so many years ago that um you know no one really knows what's going on with this ip like i said gearbox owns it there's rumors that they're working on a new version of duke nukem which in 2018 2019 i i don't really know what you do with duke nukem you know like doom came back 
came back phenomenal. Um, but Doom doesn't have that stigma about it. You know, it, it's a more serious game, takes place on Mars. It's just more relevant to today's uh, age, whereas Duke Nukem was a product of, you know, spoofing the 1980s, 1990s, and spoofing first-person shooters, early first-person shooters like Doom. And nowadays, I just don't know where that fits. So I don't know where that IP goes from here. But regardless, if, uh, if Gearbox and... Um, the company are talking to someone like John Cena to play in a movie for Duke Nukem, then uh, obviously there's something going on because there's no way they're just going to release a Duke Nukem movie by itself. You know, obviously there's some plans for a game tie in somewhere along the way. Yeah. My only weird thing about it is if you think about Duke Nukem really, really hard. And if you think about like a game like doom, as much as like Duke Nukem's comments were kind of funny when you played in those games, you never really saw Duke Nukem outside of like the commercials or like when you play the game, he maybe showed up in the mirror or something. But it's not, it's more about the worlds that you play in and the stuff that you come across in the game, like, you know, stripper bars or whatever it is that he's going <laughs> after, insane funny things. But, you know, to kind of think about it, John Cena's face, like, would fit perfect as as Duke Nukem, but is he's, it's almost like you need to have like Bruce Campbell voice Duke Nukem while John Cena's playing or something. Uh, what, but um, what's the official? Uh, I forget the voice actor's name of Duke Nukem. He was famous, right? John St. John, is that it? I can't. I can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember. I don't think. I mean, I've, I'll, I'll look it up while we're talking. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's like Doom. Like when, when you play Doom, you never once, you know, thought about what does the guy you're playing like look like outside of the bottom corner of your screen when you get hit or when you're dying. That's all you really see. But John Cena seems like a big guy. I think they're. Um, big big talent to kind of bring in to kind of not only drive the movie to success kind of like this could sound corny but mark Wahlberg. i mean he gets people in there you know i think mark Wahlberg is a horrible actor but um it's just a name to add to the title to kind of maybe drive interest to see if this is something that's really going to be do well or not but to your point a lot of duke nukem stuff doesn't fly very well in today's culture at all um all the jokes all the comments i mean it was good in the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s but not not so much anymore yeah, it's, I mean, it's weird. Uh, and I did look it up. It was John St. John, so I was right. I remembered. Um, yeah. But yeah, his, the voice and you know the comments are just so memorable. That's what everyone remembered from those games. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. But um, yeah, I don't know how that fits in 2018 or 2019. I guess we'll find yeah. out. I mean, it's kind of like, does Andrew Dice Clay fit today? No. <laughs> no way. I mean, it was funny <laughs> in the 80s, but you bombed so bad today if you went to a club. Hey, oh, I can't do it. That was terrible. We're going to move on. Um, all right. I'll, so, I'll that out. <laughs> so new. <laughs> wow. Uh, new releases and now playing. Let's talk about uh, what new games are happening. So um, a lot of, well, I won't say a lot, but a few really big releases this past week. So first up is Monster Hunter World. Uh, we've talked about this one in some previews and other big casts. It's uh, being reviewed very well. It's currently sitting at a 91 on Open Critic, which is obviously fantastic. People are loving it. And funny enough, I, but I have seen a small segment of people um, sound very similar to us. And I feel bad because this is such a big popular game right now. So many people are loving it. And I believe you and I, for whatever reason... Um, are two of the people who just can't get into it. You know, I tried it again after we last spoke um, in the more recent beta they had on PS4. And I don't know. It just wasn't, it didn't pull me in at all. I really tried. Um, I just don't know. There's something about that game that just doesn't sit well with me. Um, but regardless, uh, it's out. It's being reviewed very well. People are loving it. Um, 
let me run through these, Bert, and then uh, just the other. Sure. There's only a few released, and then you can comment on these. Uh, Dragon Ball Fighters. Um, Bert's really not a fan of that one, but uh, I'm huge on it. I got my CE the other day, and uh, <laughs> I'm joking. Um, this is at an 87 on Open Critic, also being reviewed very well. Fighting game, fighting game fans are loving it. Um, Bert is loving it, so I'm sure he'll touch on it as well. Uh, a game called Celeste. So this one's interesting. This is a small indie title, action platformer that's supposedly difficult, like uh, Super Meat Boy type style, but supposedly has a very, very touching and heartwarming story behind it. And it's being reviewed very well. It's nearly at a 90 on Open Critic. Um, I know certain big outlets, IGN is one, uh, gave it a perfect 10. And so uh, this wasn't even on my radar. But uh, you say action platformer that uh, is getting reviewed very highly and uh, my wallet kind of falls out of my pocket. So uh, I'm sure I'll be picking this up in the next day or two and checking it out. And hopefully I can talk more about it on our next podcast. Uh, Lost Sphere is a Japanese role playing game that released for uh, Switch and PS4. And obviously it's something that Switch owners have been looking forward to because it was a day and date release with... Uh, PlayStation 4, like I said, for a new JRPG. Unfortunately, it's not reviewing too well, not too bad, but kind of in the average range of uh, 77 on Open Critics. So um, seems some people are enjoying it, but they've got a, they've found a few faults with it. And then lastly, uh, another small indie title. I mentioned it last time. That's Full Metal Furies, launched on PC and Xbox One. It is the game from Rogue Legacy creator Cellar Door Games, and I want to give them a shout out again because Rogue Legacy is absolutely amazing. Um, you know, it blows Shovel Knight away. I'm just going to put out out there one more time. And uh, this game has been a lot of fun. So I'm playing it in co-op. I've played it some single player. I've been playing it in co-op with my son. It's got a great sense of humor. It's really fun. A um, lot of depth to it. And it just seems like you'll get a lot of playtime out of it. So pretty cool. Anyway, Bert, um, let's hear it. Let's hear the actual opinion on Dragon Ball Fighters <laughs> and uh, your thoughts on these others. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll actually just touch on... Um really quick on them so monster uh, monster hunter world um we'll see if it ends up something that i end up liking i didn't care for the beta the beta was supposed to be very early build but um it's just not for me I, I i didn't care for it back when it was on the handhelds and some of the older consoles i don't care for it now but the new one looks cool i've been seeing a lot of people posting their pictures on social media of their hunter um and some of the boss fights of the monsters seem a lot better than they did in the beta so maybe that's and maybe it's also a social um a social experience kind of like destiny is for a lot of people where the game is just kind of meh but you know fighting monsters together is, is a lot of fun maybe that's it i don't know but we'll see uh dragon ball z fighters i i am playing it um i've been playing it for the last day and a half and i absolutely love it um it's made by the same guys that did uh, guilty gear so if you are a fan of the guilty gear fighting series maybe give this one a try even if you're not a fan of dragon ball z However, I do want to mention, if you are a fan of Dragon Ball Z, buy this game without even you know listening to the rest of this bitcast. Just go buy it because it's it's got everything that you kind of loved as a kid or adult or maybe if you still watch it, um, it's got everything that you love from the series. There's a whole story that is, um, I guess it's not considered canon to the entire Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball GT, etc. But um, it has the characters that you need with the new boss, and I won't tell you who that boss is to ruin it for you. But there's a lot of characters there for you. I, I did see that the season pass is going to have eight additional characters. There's a lot of people that they need to add in there that are kind of missing from the initial roster. But it is it is literally fantastic. And it is a game that if you have a uh, kind of a, a deep sense when it comes to fighters, it's really deep. But also a button masher can do pretty well in it with the, the simple buttons that exist on there. So 
um, yeah, that's kind of it. I, I never even knew about Celeste until I saw the, the, the crazy um, review scores for it. It could be just another retro game that a lot of people, retro looking game that I should say, that love that game. And maybe it's just got something awesome about the story or something, but we'll see. What are you currently playing right now? Yeah, so I'll kick off currently playing because I know you wanted to talk a little bit about a game that you had possibly considered um, moving up on your 2017 game of the year list. Um, I don't really have to mention too much to talk about the game I'm currently playing, and that's PUBG. Um, I mentioned it last time. I think since our last conversation, I have honestly only played PUBG and Full Metal Furies, which I just said I was playing. So PUBG just has me enthralled. Um, anytime I have free time, which sadly these past two weeks have been very little, um, I find myself wanting to play it. So I've played solo a few times and God damn it, I should have had a chicken dinner last night solo and I just screwed it up at the end. Um, but I'm really enjoying it playing with you guys, you and, and the rest of the crew we play with. So playing a lot of squad PUBG, a lot of duo PUBG. And uh, just to give a shout out to us here at Season Gaming, Bert and I played uh, duos for the first time together, which seems weird. You figure we would have prior, but we played duos for the first time together earlier today, just two matches, and we won on our second match. So that you know, we do know what we're doing over here at Season Gaming. Don't you worry. Uh, <laughs> um, but that's about it. Um, I really don't have too much to say, so I'll let you go because, I, like I said, I know you want to talk about this game that um, you've been raving about. Yeah, so um, Origins, Assassin's Creed Origins. I'm going to say this is probably the most underrated game of 2017. And the reason I say underrated is because it got reviewed well, it did really well, but when it came to Game of the Year talk, everybody just pushed it aside. And I think what happened with that game is a lot of people played maybe the main story, they finished it, walked away from it, and they moved on uh, to other stuff, especially for review sites. I've actually heard a, a few of them that I won't mention that say they wish they spent more time in that game to see more than it is. But I'm actually probably going to be doing a video on Assassin's Creed Origins to kind of talk about the intricacies and, and the detail that went into developing this game. I will say that it is by far the best Assassin's Creed game out of the entire series, the care from characters to missions to the world that you're in. Um, and I will probably put it right next to, if not better than Zelda for me than last year. The only reason I have Zelda up there still for me is the nostalgic point of view. But um, Assassin's Creed is almost a more mature Zelda in that sense. You have your horse, you have the world, you can go anywhere you look, you can go to. That's something that Nintendo pushed to. But the detail in this game is insane. Um, I've mentioned it when the Origins was first talked about that I'm, I'm really into Egypt um, and kind of the things that are in the, in the whole world. It's all there. Um, there's a lot of videos and tributes on YouTube where they actually show the game and then say what it looks like in real life, and it's it's identical. So um, I'll probably talk about some Easter eggs in the game when I do my video coming up, but it is probably, like I said, it's probably my game of the year of 2017 if I had played it in 2017, so it's really that good. Dragon yeah, Ball Z Fighters. I, uh, one yeah. second. I don't want to interrupt you. I just wanted to confirm it is better than Zelda, so you can move on now. <laughs> Zelda hater speaks again. Um, but yeah, it, it is absolutely fantastic. At the end of the day, I spent about 62 hours and I literally found everything. I, I have a thousand out of a thousand achievement score on that game. Um, I think I have maybe six missions left that were not part of the, you know, the story that kind of have added to, to it afterwards. Um, and the DLC came out just a few days ago. So that added an additional 250 score. I'm probably going to leave that alone for now to play other games and then come back to the game when it comes there. And I just don't want to spend the money for the season pass. I, I unfortunately don't think $40 is a fair price for a season pass. So I'll wait till that goes on sale. But uh, the last things that I'm playing is Dragon Ball Z Fighters, as I mentioned. I'm going to be starting Kingdom Hearts 1, the remaster for PlayStation 4. 
And I'm going to, funny enough, go back to Resident Evil Revelations. I played that a lot back on 360. I stopped playing it for whatever reasons. I don't want to come back to it because I, I kind of love those single-player experiences. So tons being played right now. And, yes, uh, we were... I think I think we're still full on our chicken dinner we had for breakfast this morning. So, <laughs> such a, such yeah, a that was game. A, that was a good one. That was a good one for sure. And um, you know, I don't know why I just thought of it. Um, we don't have it on here to mention games upcoming, but I gotta say, I'm really looking forward to Shadow of the Colossus. Um, uh, the more I'm reading and the more I'm seeing about the game, uh, especially you know with the remaster on the PlayStation 4 Pro and supposedly how gorgeous it is and how it how it uh, plays. Uh, I'm pretty excited for that one. So that's coming in just a few weeks, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Uh, Digital Foundry actually released some of their analysis today, and they're saying that the graphics on it are kind of mind-blowing and that it should be considered more of a remake than a remaster in its entirety because the uh, I think it's Blue Point or something like that, the developers yes. on it, um, they have completely redone the old game, and they have used completely new assets from start to finish. So they're saying it looks better than Horizon Zero Dawn in a Ooh. whole bunch of different areas, which is kind of big talk for a game that is technically seen as a remaster for a lot of people. Yeah, that's but, um, that, that's big talk because Horizon is stunning. Um, yeah. yeah, I could go on and on about that game. I already have. Um, so anyway, let's get to our main topic. Um, so I wanted to talk about Xbox Game Pass and, and Microsoft's announcement for Xbox Game Pass. We've had a uh, season game conversation prior video with Jordan we did around uh, game subscription services. And funny, we probably need to go back and do a version 2.0 of that conversation because since we had that conversation, Game Pass has launched, Jump has launched, who I you know we've chatted with and we're, uh, we're friends with. Um, a lot has changed since we had that conversation. The loot box, you know, kind of craziness that happened in the fall. Um, and it's interesting to see where this uh, this part of the industry is going and growing. Um, but the big announcement, in case you missed it, let me just touch on the basics here. And that is that uh, so Xbox Game Pass, if you're unfamiliar with it for whatever reason, I don't know why you'd be listening to season gaming if you were. But <laughs> um, it's $9.99 a month. It is on uh, Xbox One and some Play Anywhere games as well. Um, it includes now almost 150 games in the catalog, and uh, you can download those games and play them just as if you have bought them digitally. There's no limit to what you can play. You don't have to stream them. Um, you get full achievements, and on top of that, if for any reason um, you know they announce that a game is leaving the service, I believe only one game has left the service so far, which is uh, Metal Gear Solid Five. I believe is leaving on February 1st or March 1st. Um, but if you do want to buy titles, um, you get 20% off as well. Um, so it's it's really good value. I've enjoyed it. It's made me try some games that I wouldn't have tried otherwise. But the big announcement, and the reason this is our main topic today, is that Microsoft announced just this week that all first-party titles from Microsoft Studios will launch day and date into the service um, just as their worldwide release date. So that means that uh, sea of Thieves, which we've been talking about, that's releasing on March 20th. Will, uh, if you're a Game Pass member and you plan on buying that game digitally, you really don't have to now. You're going to get the full game on March 20th, just as if you had bought the game. Uh, State of Decay 2, obviously, is supposedly coming later in the spring, maybe early summer. Crackdown 3 is coming later this year as well. Um, obviously, we expect Forza Horizon 4, whatever Playground Games' new Forza title is coming later this year. Microsoft also, just to clear any confusion, because there has been quite a bit across social media, they also announced um, 
that all future titles, and yes, that includes Halos, Gears of War, Forza's, uh, games like you know Ori, all those first-party titles will be launching into the service day and date, and they will not leave the service. So all first-party titles will remain in the service as long as you are a subscriber, and that's an important note to make because people right away had the assumption of, oh, they're going to put Sea of Thieves in there March 20th, but then they're going to take it out on May 1st, and if you want to keep playing it, you'll have to buy it. They've confirmed that is not the case. It'll stay in there forever. Um, so I kind of wanted to unpack this. There's a lot to think about from an industry implication standpoint here. And, you know, um, I think that a lot of conversation around it, sadly, as we see across this industry, and part of the reason we do what we do here at Season Gaming is that it was shallow. It was really two camps. It was the pro Microsoft people who are saying this is great value. It's fantastic. Um, it's all positives versus uh, the other camp, which is, oh, Microsoft's trying to kill publishers and there's no reason to buy used games now and, you know, all this crazy stuff. So there's actually a lot of things we can talk about here. And, and Bert, I think you and I can just kind of go back and give our opinions on some of these in a more educated fashion and more um, unbiased fashion than uh, a lot of these outlets. So let's kind of start with single player games. Um, so there's been a lot of talk about single player games um, going away. We've already commented that's not true. It's nonsense. Um, but there is a fact that funding single-player games, especially large single-player games, AAA games, is very expensive. And if they don't do well, they don't have the tail on them uh, to recoup those costs. And so one of the things here that is a possibility for Xbox Game Pass uh, is to allow a developer to say, okay, um, I'm going to spend X million dollars, say $50 million developing a pretty large single-player game. I'm going to launch it on Xbox, PlayStation 4, Switch, PC, what have you. Um, but in addition to the normal sales route, the normal marketing, the normal sales route, the normal digital sales, physical sales, Amazon, Best Buy, discounts, all, all those things that the publishers deal with, right? Um, I can also gain 20% or 40%. I don't know the numbers. Microsoft obviously doesn't release them to people like us. But I can also recoup some of those costs by allowing Xbox Game Pass subscribers to play the game. Um, so in that way, it can, you know, kind of assist in the development or the funding of the development, some of these titles. Um, and that would obviously uh, scale, right? If you're a smaller developer developing a smaller game on a smaller budget, um, it can be as important or even more important than it could be to a large publisher or company spending tens of millions of dollars. So. Uh, let's start there on single players games and uh, what it could mean and uh, get your thoughts there. Yeah, I think it'll be kind of a good thing. And, and one thing I kind of want to mention just on the, the basic idea of like a, a developer, you know, if they're thinking about making a single player game and they're going to be an exclusive or even a third party that'll come to Microsoft Game Pass eventually, if you can pretty much promise them that, you know, you have ever so much subscribers, they will be able to see, touch and play your game. Um, I think that's going to be very lucrative for them in general because they're going to have a lot of people that are going to be able to play their game that otherwise wouldn't have played it because they would have had to buy it, or, uh, buy it or whatever the case is. And uh, from a, from a exclusive standpoint, I mean, I think that that'll be pretty important for them too. You might have someone that you know, Sea of Thieves is a good example. Like I never really cared for that game or whatever, 
and then you have the Game Pass, and you're like, hey, it's here on launch date. Everybody's talking about it. Let me give it a try, and it might turn into those people's favorite game, and then they'll be going forward supporting you know, Rare or whatever it is that they're doing. So I think in general, if you look at it from a positive standpoint, and if you were a developer, a publisher, whatever the case is, I think, it, I think it'll work in, in your favor if you think about it in a very uh, kind of optimistic way. Um, now there's some negatives to it as well, but you know you kind of have to think about you know with the way the gaming industry is today. There's so much game ABD. There's so many big games and everything that if you're just putting your game out there for people to just try and take a look at, you know, what do you have to lose really? Unless you know you're a big developer like the Call of Duties and Battlefields like that. No, I think you touch on a great point there. And one of the things I was going to say we need to talk about is exposure. You know, if you think about something like uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Um, Ori's developed a name for itself, but I mean, how many more people will play that game? Sea of Thieves is a perfect example they used. How many more people will play that game now on day one or at launch because it's in Game Pass? You know, I think you might even be one of those people, right? Like you were kind of iffy on Sea of Thieves because it's, it really is a better game as uh, in multiplayer, as we've talked about, and you lean more towards single player experiences in general. So, um, but now you'll be able to download it on day one. You and I can hop in there with some buddies, goof off, for all we know, you may love it. And then it becomes one of your most played games. So, um, yeah, something really quick before we change subjects. And I just want to give you an example of, of, a, of a gamer. So let's say I'm a big Nintendo guy or a big Sony guy. And I've kind of stayed away from Microsoft for a long time. And um, I just don't really care for Microsoft. But then someone propositions me and says, hey, you can get a brand new Xbox today, Xbox One S for $200. And then for $120, you know, you can get the Game Pass for the next year. And you can have access to every single exclusive that's out or that is coming out or whatever. You know, you might have new Gears of War gamers. You might have new Halo fans. You might have new um, whatever it is, Fable fans, all the exclusives that come out of Forza fans, whatever, like someone that was a Gran Turismo guy. So I never really touched on Forza before. I never played it. Everybody told me it sucked. Well, they play it now, and all of a sudden, you have a new Forza diehard fan that's going to start playing those games. So I think it's important for people that are not Microsoft people to kind of think about it from another person's uh, perspective um, and kind of see what this now has to offer. Because for 350 bucks and on top of Xbox Live, you can have games unlimited to you, 100-plus games for the entire year in buying that console, which is pretty massive if you think about it from a at-home experience for somebody that's never played a Microsoft console. No. Excellent point. Um, and part of why we're having this discussion, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, especially as the later generation goes on, right? Um, you're getting to the point, as you just mentioned, where the PS4 Slim, the Xbox One S are tremendous values, especially around the holidays. We saw some absolutely, you know, bonkers uh, deals that you could get. So if you imagine you could spend 10 bucks a month and get that entire catalog, uh, not just all those other smaller games, but you get Halo and Gears and Forza, and uh you know sea of thieves and crackdown three and state of decay two and then eventually right you've got fable obviously whatever if they bring perfect dark back all those other future franchises ori um it's amazing value um i don't it, you know it goes without saying that games are 60 dollars in general if you planned on buying crackdown and sea of thieves this year game pass just paid for itself for the entire year and you get 150 other games to go with it you know, it just makes it, it absolutely makes perfect sense to be a game, game Pass subscriber. In fact, it almost makes sense. It doesn't make sense not to be. Um, so it's it's really uh, it's really interesting. And just one more point I want to clear up here. You said, you know, new Halo fans or, you know, there really shouldn't be new Halo fans. There's either Halo fans or people that are wrong. Um, 
just want to make sure we're clear on that. So, uh, moving on to <laughs> moving on to multiplayer games. So, um, you know, multiplayer games go into Halo, go into Gears or Sea of Thieves. Perfect examples again. You know, when Gears Five or Four, excuse me, Gears Four got put in the Game Pass back in November, December, I believe. I think it was November. Um, you know that we saw the population rise. So as you just noted, there's a whole bunch of new people now trying Gears Four who hadn't previously bought it. Either they weren't Gears fans or they didn't have the money to buy it. Um, now trying the game, and so it can help with that population of the game, especially when you think about the services that Microsoft has really worked on for the Xbox as a platform. And those often get overlooked, I realize. Um, but things like looking for group. Um, so now you're looking for group, you know, architecture for Sea of Thieves uh, instead of the million people that may have bought it in the first week now includes 3 million people because you've got a couple other million people that are Game Pass subscribers who have downloaded Sea of Thieves to try it. Um, and that just brings more people together, you know, more people playing the game, more people partying up, having a good time. Um, it's, uh, it's just one of those domino effect type things. And you touched on it. It just like one thing after another, you look at the overarching, uh, structure of the platform, the game, the subscription, and it really just ties it all together. It's, uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a good salesmanship point on that point too. I mean, if you were a gamer and you were not biased for any any um, you know console maker with Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft, whatever, and someone propositioned you and said, "Hey, do you want to play a game that has a population of three million people, or do you want to play a game that's got one million? Well, obviously, you're going to go to one that's got more because you have more games that you can play, more people to play with, etc. So I think that's kind of important, and it's kind of funny and. Just looking at the wall behind you, <laughs> uh, they're all the Halo merchandise. You know, this kind of stuff. So a lot of people don't realize that a game is a lot more than just a $60 price tag that you buy at the at the rack when you're buying a Halo title. You know, there's there's licensing that goes out for everything that's, you know, in our background right here in mine and Ains's background, posters and stuff. So I think the Xbox grand, brand in general can really um, do something really well with this if they continue to launch it the way it seems like it's going. But... From a multiplayer standpoint, I mean, there's just so much, you know, new friendships can be made that way, new people playing together, et cetera. So I hope it does this as kind of what we're hoping it does. Yeah, I yeah, agree. Um, so let's talk about used games. So used games have been a big topic for several years now, honestly. Publishers trying to find ways to stop used game sales, which is disappointing in one way. You can understand it in another. There's always the whole, you know, economics of the situation versus the end user. Um, but one of the things that was brought up this week is, does this do away with used games? Does it, does it eliminate, not eliminate, right, but reduce the need for used games? And I think in a way it does. Um, but what does that mean to the industry? You know, we, we see companies like GameStop who are worth billions and, and what they do with used games is, is that necessarily a good thing? Um, that's a whole nother discussion, I think. But if you are, I think the argument is if you are um, six months post launch on a game, we'll just use Crackdown 3, first one that came to mind, and you've been wanting to try it. Um, it's a $60 game at launch. Of course, you're not a Game Pass subscriber and you don't spend much money on games per year for whatever reason. Um, why would you not? I think the argument is why would you go spend 20 bucks on a used copy of Crackdown 3 at GameStop or anywhere else or eBay? Uh, Craigslist, etc. When you can spend ten dollars, play the full game for a minimum of thirty days, and really um, 
you know, play the hell out of it and see if it's really worth it. And if it is worth it, then why would you not just keep subscribing to Game Pass? Which, of course, is kind of the argument, right? It gets you tied into that universe or that subscription. Um, but I think as this grows, um, and this is not going to be the first, this touches on a larger part of this, right? Is that Microsoft is leading the way here. This is something new from a subscription model um, and that games are launching into it. Um, AAA games, I should say, because companies like Jump are obviously promoting indie games and they're launching into Jump. Um, but from Xbox Game Pass, you're talking about these big blockbusters launching. It's very similar to what Netflix has done, right? So you think just a few years ago, Netflix originals were not a thing. It was just content we all knew, right? Shows and movies that we had all seen, and you could just stream them now. Nowadays, you go on Netflix, there are more Netflix originals than you can watch. Um, and we talk about all these, these all the time, Bert. Um, and and uh, many of them are excellent. Um, there's no reason to believe that you won't see not only Microsoft do this, but other companies do this with their subscription service and possibly third-party publishers eventually launching games in Xbox Game Pass, which Phil Spencer has himself uh, said that he uh, you know, foresees a future for and would like to see. So I think uh, from a used game perspective, this is going to have some impact, um, if not a lot on day one, of course, because this is just Microsoft, it's just first party. But in the long term, you can kind of see where this road is leading. And it looks very similar, I think, to what uh, the streaming uh, services look like. Yeah, I've kind of heard talk, I've heard a little bit of this talk about from the negative side that this is kind of what Microsoft was initially trying to do when they originally launched the Xbox One to kind of do away with used games and the whole DRM conversation and how you can have everything on your hard drive ready or whatever. Um, it's kind of weird because when, when you mentioned the term industry, so I think the industry, like coming from Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, I don't think they care for uh, used games and that kind of used game industry, which is kind of separate from the, I guess, the first part of the industry thing. I, I don't, they lose money. I mean, you know, why would why would they care when someone can go buy that game for 50 bucks, 60 bucks new? Um, it, you know, the, the, and also developers. I don't think developers care for used games that much um, in general, but that kind of makes the point of here, you can have the Game Pass service for $120 a year and you can have as many games as you want, and then you know you're getting it at a cheap deal. If even if you want to go in for one month and check out that one game and get 40 hours out of it, you're spending you're spending 10 bucks. So kind of to your point, it doesn't really make sense to kind of go for that used game at, at GameStop or whatever you have nearby when you can get the Game Pass for you know for you know uh, 120 dollars a year. But I don't know. I, I think um, the thing that's kind of unfortunate for me is that I'm more of a physical media person. I don't really care for digital unless I'm forced to. Um, even though it's more convenient. So I take it two ways. I like collecting something as you can kind of see back here. Um, but I also like the convenience of just being on my couch, going to a menu and hit and start that game and it plays without me having to get up and change the disc. But I don't know, I think digital is the uh, way that we're gonna kind of see it. I guess the industry is moving that way in general. But I, I have heard that a lot of people do buy like a lot of credits for like the PlayStation, for Xbox and Nintendo. Uh, physically, they'll actually go to a GameStop or a Best Buy or whatever and they'll buy um, that card instead of just going on their console. And I, I guess it's for reasons of purchase because you can only use it with a credit card. So some people just have cash um, and they prefer to buy their credit that way. But um, can go both ways. And to your point, I think this is kind of a bigger conversation than what we're talking about today. Yeah, and um, you know, we know that digital is the way it's going, right? It, it, the percentage of market penetration for digital games is higher every year. I think you and I are part of that small group of holdouts <laughs> that prefer physical in, in all areas. 
Um, in fact, you know, I'm already thinking I'm a Game Pass subscriber. I will play Sea of Thieves via the Game Pass on day one. But uh, there's no doubt in my mind that six months down the line, whenever I can find Sea of Thieves as a hard copy for 15, 20 bucks or what have you, I'm going to buy it um, just because I know I want to have it. And um, I just like having that disc. But I think uh, I think if you look at movies, if you look at Blu-rays, DVDs, if you look at CDs, um, you know, there were holdouts in each of those, right? There were holdouts that were still buying their discs or CDs or what have you. And, um, you know, especially in the audio realm, that's really, really gone away now. Um, so I think games are just headed that way. It's just a longer tail. And I think Microsoft is, is being one of the uh, pioneers with this, uh, with this decision. Yeah, I think um, I think something we might see in the future too is we'll still get collector's editions that have no games. You know, a lot of people are like, "Oh, that's a stupid collector's edition; they didn't include the game." Well, the reason a lot of people are doing that is because most people buy games digitally. So, do you still want the collector's edition with that statue or that cool print that it came with, or something? So, I think that'll change the way those kind of get delivered. If only they lower their prices to what they should be, anyways. Kind of like um, Dragon Ball Z is a good example. They wanted 130 bucks for it collector's edition and the only thing you got additionally was a steel box and a seven inch statue which didn't make sense to me so is that seven inch statue worth an additional 60 bucks no way so i had to change that out but we'll see how it happens in the future something like that maybe just the statue and maybe a steel book um you know will come with it or something but i don't know i i, I hope they don't do it with collector's editions as well yeah no I'm, I'm with you and i think we buy enough of those you make a good point uh it's kind of funny because that almost uh touched on another point you made about licensing in general so you know if microsoft I, i'm certainly not going to say if microsoft was smart um because i don't claim to be smarter than microsoft um but you know if you think about it it would be kind of cool if, if it does go this route and they start pushing their first party ips down the game pass route and uh you know it's really takes over on a digital sense it'd be kind of cool to see them develop a better way for fans like us to uh, buy collectibles for those Microsoft IPs, you know, Halo does a good job of it. Go figure. Uh, if you couldn't tell, um, just because they're such a big company and three, four, three has an entire division called halo gear that does this kind of stuff. Um, but you know, for other halo, I, other Microsoft IPs, it'd be kind of cool to see, uh, you know, straight collectible souls so that even if you were buying digital or a game pass subscriber, you could get a Marcus Phoenix Phoenix statue as a standalone purchase that was officially licensed, something like that. Yeah. Despite uh, software going more digital and less physical collectibles are more sought after and you can find more collectibles for games than ever. I mean, you can go to a GameStop right now and there's now world of Nintendo, there's Amiibos, there's PlayStation type Amiibos coming. I mean, there's collectibles ever when we were kids, you maybe saw a plush of a Mario or a Sonic, and that's kind of it. That's all you had. Even posters were hard to find. So it's kind of weird how that's kind of flipping. But it's, once again, another conversation that we, we can yeah. probably talk touch on later. All right, Mr. Amiibo, we get it. Amiibos, we got it. Um, <laughs> um, but no, you're right, and I think that... Uh, separate conversation but i think that's why gamestop went the way they did right they everyone was talking about how used games are dying and so they announced they were getting into collectibles a few years ago and now they're doing just fine so Remember, anyway. you, you, you can buy socks at gamestop now socks. hey i had an executive meeting on monday and i wore my gears of war socks proudly representing so <laughs> Um, so let's talk about cost of value, which we already touched on. This is going to be short, but I think cost of value, this goes without saying that it is a tremendous cost of value. As we already said, you buy two games on an annual basis, uh, new AAA releases, and you've paid for the service on a year. Never mind all the other first party releases and all those other games that are already in there. Uh, 
I was looking through just yesterday, actually, in Game Pass and finding some additional games. Like, um, we talked about Darksiders. Um, Darksiders is a game that I hadn't played, and they're actually adding Darksiders 2, the remaster, in on February 1st. So I finally get to check that game out. It cost me, well, it doesn't cost me nothing. I'm a subscriber. But uh, it's not something I would have gone and bought otherwise, but I'm now going to play it because it's being added to Game Pass. So I just think the cost of value here is tremendous, um, and it's only increasing. Yeah, the simple side of it, and I'm sure the maths, the maths <laughs> have uh, have been done already. Um, from Microsoft, you know, is is selling a game at sixty dollars um, at retail when new, um, going to actually make more money for from a subscriber or for someone that buys that? Well, as we've all talked about, all new releases kind of make most of their money in that first thirty days, first twenty days, whatever it is, and after that, it kind of falls off. And unfortunately, people that buy a game down the road for an older game or something might be harder to find, and they might go to GameStop instead and pay twenty bucks for it, or they might wait for a crazy Black Friday sale where they can get a $10 to $15 software title there. But if you have, you got to keep in mind, there's going to be a lot of subscribers out there um, that are going to maybe play that game or maybe not. And I think the majority of, of gamers, as we've touched on before, are casual gamers. So you're not going to see a gamer that's going to play 10, 15 games per month. You're going to see someone that your average gamer is going to play maybe one, maybe two games per month. So I think at the end of the day, um, depending on how long these subscribers stand, and of course, we're, we're just thinking about this towards the future we don't have a uh, some kind of a prediction in mind or anything but i think people that are going to stick around for the gamer the game pass for one plus years if not more so some of those games may pay for themselves in the long run i think if uh, publishers and developers are wanting to make all that money at the front end i think that might be kind of a thing of the past i think with subscription gaming and these game passes in general that may come from other companies as well you might see a longer term payback to you versus up at the front yeah all good points all good points so let's let's transition to the fact that this is a digital only service of course um what's that mean for the long term um a lot of people you and i included talk about how we like to own our games and uh you know i go back and we pull a game off of our shelves for season reflections every time we do a big cast um, I go back and I can throw a Super Nintendo cartridges anytime I want, and that game will never be taken away from me. Um, it's just sitting on the shelf there. I'll play it whenever I want. Um, from a digital-only service, uh, and uh, you know, we look at something like Steam, which has led the way here, but the mere fact is, I mean, no matter how you look at it, you do not own that game. You own a license. Um, and I don't think it'll happen, but it is at least worth talking about that if one day... Um, Valve just says, you know what, we're done here, and um, Steam's done, we're shutting it down, you've got six months to finish playing your games. Um, that's a possibility, and I haven't looked into all the legal aspects of this, of course, I'm just kind of thinking out loud, but um, the simple fact is, like I said, you own a license, you don't run the game, um, and you have to access that game via servers or some type of download service. Um so what does this mean? You know, Microsoft, unfortunately, doesn't have the best history in this era. You know, they're just shutting down Groove Music, which they tried to already rebrand and relaunch. And, you know, they're, they're people who had libraries on Groove are having to shift that over to Spotify or download their music before it, it goes away. And, uh, you know, what happens if someone was on a military leave for six months and they didn't have access to Groove and you get home and it's like, well, Groove's gone and all your music is gone. Um, there, there's situations like that, which are just kind of scary. I don't know. I like having something physical that I know is mine and I know I will own forever. 
And that is not what this is with Game Pass. Uh, you have access to it until they take it off of the service. And I think that concerns some people. Does that concern you? No. Um, let me tell you why. I think it's because we subscribe to a lot of things today. You mentioned Spotify. We subscribe to that. Those We can listen to all that music, that person's albums, as much as we want. Um, but, you know, we, we don't even own that, really. You just It's kind of like a, you just listen to what you want at that moment. You can download it for later consumption if you'd like. Netflix subscription service, we never own any of those movies. We watch them, and then they go back into our queue. Some of them leave the, the monthly basis or whatever. I think if people um, approach it as a Netflix type or Amazon video type thing, you know, we're subscribing to all that stuff, and this is more seen as a, a subscription service, and you shouldn't view any of the games in the Gamer Pass as your game. If you want something that's going to be yours, go buy the game. Um, that's kind of another reason why I never really buy digital unless, once again, I have to. Um, I like to have everything physical, even if that game's no longer going to exist. I at least have my machines that I can play them on again in, in, in the future if I ever want to. I mean, we have, have like a Nintendo 64 GameCube that I can still boot up and put the disc in and play. So I think digital in general, I think that mentality for, as we always like to talk about, the millennials and even people younger than millennials, um, I think they're kind of used to that already. You know, you buy that, you know, no one buys CDs or records and stuff anymore. Uh, some of us do. But, I do. Um, yeah, I know you do. But um, I think that mentality is slowly going away. Some of the older gamers might be questioning it just exactly like we are today. Um, but I think the mentality of, you know, owning that piece of software, that license is going to be a very different mentality here in the near future. Yeah, it's true. And I, I think that's a good way to look at it is as long as you're viewing it with the right lens, right, to say this is a subscription service, I will play what games are on it, but I know that I don't own these games. Um Despite the fact, of course, that uh, in this case, you download the games to your to your hard drive, um, but it's still just a license. And I think as long as people are looking at it that way, that's a good thing. I don't think everyone is. I don't think we know, you know, as well as I do. Some people look at this and they're like, oh, I own this game now. And the, yeah. that's not how it works. One thing um, Microsoft did did a refund me on surprisingly was, uh, do you remember that uh, app? Or I guess game or whatever you want to call it, Microsoft Fitness that um, was out. Yeah, 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 Xbox Fitness. Um, yeah, they ended up shutting that down, and I yep. got a refund. Uh, funny enough, I, I got a full refund for it. I got, um, I think, forty dollars back, and it credited back to my account, and that was kind of funny. But I, I did get that back. So maybe if that's a concern of people for licensing, I think they kind of did that with uh, what's the a recent Marvel, Marvel game? Heroes Omega. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, they didn't actually refund anybody for that. No, they did. They did. They did. Oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I got a I got a ten dollar refund because I bought ten dollars in crystals or whatever the hell they were called to unlock uh, Punisher fully. That's what it was. Um, yeah, and then so if you because the game was in a sh such a short span on consoles, Microsoft just came out and said, "If you well, spend money on this, we're giving it back to you." Cool. Yeah. So but, at least that, keep in mind for people that buy that digital license. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, again. You know, Steam is kind of the biggest example here because they've grown so big and, and so many people have hundreds or even thousands of games on Steam now. Um, and they just kind of know that, you know, I can go play those games anytime I want. And I don't think there's a true concern that, that one day those will go away. It's just, again, just another topic to uh, just to consider with this. So anyway, that's our thoughts on Xbox Game Pass. Um you know, there's probably more that we're not considering. And to think, you know, there's so much commentary out there on social media about this. To think that Microsoft hasn't already considered every single thing and probably a hundred more that we're talking about or anyone else is talking about would be completely naive. They know what they're doing. Um, 
they've thought about all these angles and more. Believe me, they've run all the numbers. They're going to be fine. Um, I've actually seen some crazy people say, well, how is Microsoft going to make any money? Their first party studios are going to go bankrupt. And it's like, just, they're okay. Calm down. They the maths do. have been done. The yeah, yeah. Trust done. me, by much smarter people than the people making those comments, believe me. Um, but anyway, let's uh, let's close out our main topic and uh, move on to some of our more fun uh, sections here before we wrap up. So let's move to collectibles. Bird, I know you picked something up yesterday that you were kind of uh, lucky to stumble upon, right? What you got? Yeah, so funny enough, um, me, uh, I was a big fan of the game Unravel, and so was my wife. Um, she liked it a lot. Actually, it was one of the first games that she really spent a lot of time on and stuck time in. And um, when I was picking up a Dragon Ball Z at uh, Best Buy, which um, sometimes has great stuff and sometimes has a ton of collector's editions, I found the Unravel uh, collector's edition. So it has Yarny in there, and you can pose them any way you want and stuff. And these go for, uh, if they're still sealed and new, for about 80, 90 bucks at, um, on eBay and stuff like that because they're no longer made. They're, they're not manufactured anymore. Um, and I got it for $27 with the Gamer Pass discount. So I was pretty happy with that. It does also come with a digital, you know, the digital code uh, for Unravel. Um, and so it's on the PS4, but um, I played it on the Xbox One with EA Access. So we have that if we need to. Um, I also got, um, I don't know if this is really a big deal or not. I don't really collect Funko Pops, but I got the Trunks uh, thing that came with the pre-order of Dragon Ball Z Fighter, which is kind of cool. But um, other than that, I got a few Amiibos, but I'm not going to talk about those. Mr. <laughs> 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 Amiibo doesn't need to mention everyone yet because I, I have just law, a lot of them right here just chilling. So anyways, how about you? Cool. Well, um, so I was going to talk about the limited run games, uh, Windjammers Collector's Edition. So this just arrived on Thursday. You can see it behind me here. Um, it is a classic Neo Geo game. And funny enough, back years and years ago when I had my Neo Geo and I was part of that, that group, um, I actually owned this game. Um, and like the idiot I am, I sold my entire Neo Geo MVS and AES collection. So I don't have any of that anymore. But I thought it would be kind of funny. Um, because I really like this game, and uh, I'm certainly not reselling this. These, these are for me. But for those who don't know, it's a game about Frisbees. Um, I, I won't get into the game itself. But what was really neat with limited run games on this one is um, it's got a blue Frisbee in it. They made 2,000 copies of this. Uh, it's completely sold out. Um, as you kind of said with the Unravel thing, it's going for extra money on eBay, but I'm not selling it. Um, but one out of five of these, so only 400, actually had a pink Frisbee. And so just for kind of uh, shits and giggles here, I thought it'd be funny to open it. As you can see, it's unopened. Um, open it. Yeah, I'm going to open it right now and see if I'm lucky and uh, or one of the people who were lucky enough to get the uh, pink Frisbee, which I know is worth more. Um, just lost like 50 bucks in value by opening it. Wait again. Yeah, I know. That plastic right there, I just threw a $50 bill on the floor, but that's okay. Um, no big deal. So <clears throat> I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I thought it would be funny regardless. Ah, damn, I got the blue one. But still very cool. I was hoping, but there's that. It comes with the PS4 version of the game, of course, which I honestly can't wait to play. Got the soundtrack and uh, pretty neat stuff. So I know, I think you have more of the limited run game stuff than I do, actually. But they really do some good work, and uh, we always like to give them a shout out. Um, although, you know, they can go F themselves now for not sending me the pink one. I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> yeah, they got a lot of stuff and some of their collector's edition stuff where they add more stuff to them is really cool. But they're, if you don't know anything about them, check them out. Limited run games. They really uh, pretty much put together games that are digital and they put them in a physical form for you. So uh, pretty cool. 
<laughs> which goes right back to our conversation digital games we want them physical so that's what they do yeah. all right so our favorite section uh season reflections which is about the uh, longest i'm gonna say it but uh i'll let you uh kick this one off what do you got for us this time yeah so uh my game is enslave odyssey of the west so this came out on the playstation 3 and xbox 360 um, it was developed by Ninja Theory. So if you're not very uh, familiar with Ninja Theory, they just made the most uh, recent game, which was um, Hellblade. It's a newest sacrifice, and it was a digital, digital-only game for PlayStation that people are hoping limited-run games will do. But something that people didn't know is that they actually developed um, Kung Fu Chaos before they were Ninja Theory. That's the same team, same developers. So uh, if you don't know much about the game, it's about a kind of a grunt-type guy who's doesn't he's not very smart or whatever, and there's a girl that needs to be helped and you team up and you go through this world together. It's kind of like the uncharted uh, type gameplay, third person over your shoulder. A lot of puzzles, things you do together, and it's one of the uh, the hidden gems, in my opinion, um, of last generation that a lot of people didn't get to play. It came out later in the generation, um, and there was already talk of other games and other big titles, so it got kind of got silenced during that time when it came out. But if you have a 360 or a PlayStation 3 and, and you can pick it up, it's going for pretty cheap. It's around 15 to 20 bucks. It uh, looks really pretty, um, and actually, funny enough, the some of the graphics look very similar to, um, gosh, what was the other game they did uh, for PlayStation 3? Oh, oh Heavenly Sword, um, that had a lot of uh, face capture stuff that um, kind of uh, was really known for at that time. But it's a fantastic game. You can see it as I'm kind of uh, showing it up here, but um, it's, it's a lot of fun. So if you get a chance, check it out. Yeah, sadly, I've never played it. I've heard very good things about it. It's one of those games that kind of never took off in the mainstream. But when you hear um, certain journalists and stuff talk about it, they get really excited as you are now. So that's interesting. Um, I'm not going to say I'm going to play it because, as we always talk about the time, but um, it's good stuff. Um, so mine this week is, or biweekly, uh, is going to be Borderlands, the original. Um, so I thought it was kind of interesting to pull this one out. Um, Borderlands has now become a huge franchise. We know Borderlands 3 is being developed, despite Gearbox not officially showing anything yet. Um, but Borderlands, when it came out, was a huge, huge game. Borderlands 2 got even bigger, of course. But what was really neat about this is it was, I won't say the first, but it was a game that took kind of the uh, ARPG or Diablo methodology to gameplay. Um, but turned it into a first-person shooter, which at the time, 360 Air were really blowing up. You know, that's Halo and Call of Duty when they were really exploding. Um, and the neat thing, of course, is they advertise as the, you know, gazillion guns or what have you and all the variations that you could find and the randomness of it and the loot. And uh, you, of course, could play with three other people and you could run around that world and do the missions and just shoot enemies and have fun and loot up. And um, it's become a big thing now, right? I mean, that essentially is the core of what Destiny became, except for, you know, Borderlands did it many years, uh, many years prior. And Borderlands 2, like I said, kind of just really exploded that even bigger. Um, but it, it's a uh, fantastic game. It's still fun to go back and play. It's just got that really good feel to it. Um, every time you play it, you find something new in the sense of uh, there's something new around the world or you just get different loot, right? Um, but if you've, if for some reason you're one of the few people who have never played Borderlands, uh, prior to Borderlands 3 getting here, I would definitely check them out. I do prefer Borderlands 2. Um, despite them, you know, there's a few things I like about Borderlands 1 better, um, especially the rarity of the loot, because in Borderlands 2, it's really hard to get some good things. But uh, the overall scope of the game in 2 is uh, much better. But regardless, um, excellent, excellent games. 
when Borderlands 3 releases, that'll be another one of those games that I just get lost in for a very long time. Um, and so I'm really hoping we see it at E3 this year, and I think we will. Yeah, I, I really hope so. Borderlands 1 and 2, even the DLC is fantastic on both of them. If you haven't played them, check them out. They're, they're must-plays. Perfect. All right, so I think uh, I think we're done here. It's been a long episode. Like I said, uh, it feels like it's been forever since we last chatted, but um, we had a lot to cover. And uh, in closing, you know, we we did some uh, giveaways recently. Both Bert and I and, and Season Gaming overall did a bunch of giveaways. Uh, we appreciate everyone who kind of jumped in on those. Um, stay tuned. We'll have more stuff throughout the year. And, uh, you know, our YouTube channel, um, we're trying to promote that lately because we're doing more videos. We're going to be doing more reviews and, and other kind of commentary on other things across the industry. So um, if you check us out on there, you'll see some of the things we put up. We always appreciate subscribers, of course, and likes and um, Twitter and Facebook as well. So we're on Twitter. Um, on Facebook, our group is growing. We have a little chat group on uh, for Season Gaming on Facebook so that if uh, you, know, you just want to get on and talk with some other people about gaming, any game, any platform, whatever you want, it's a good group of people. So uh, hop on there and we'll be happy to chat with you. And then uh, lastly for me, as I are kind of already commented on, but I'm going to be streaming for Extra Life, uh, playing a lot of PUBG, um, which kind of just fits in with what I'm playing right now anyway. Um, I'm actually streaming tonight, tonight, but I don't think we're going to publish this prior to streaming. So I'll be on uh, here in the coming weeks. I'll be posting on Twitter about it and on the site about it. But if uh, if you'd like to kind of tune in, I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. The charity that I'm playing for is KU Medical, uh, which is part of that Children's Network um, uh, Miracle Network, excuse me. And uh, even my own family has had some work done by KU Medical, and they're really good people. They do a ton of good work across the entire Midwest. So, um, like I said, we greatly appreciate you tuning in. Any donation, as little as a dollar, is appreciated. And uh, hopefully, see you guys on there. Bert, what do you want to talk about? Anything before we go? No, just to kind of keep in touch with us on, on YouTube and some other stuff, you know, um, kind of to Ains's point, thanks for joining in on our giveaways and, and following us. Hopefully you stick with us and then just join up just to get the, the giveaway option. But, um, yeah, we have some stuff coming, some videos coming, and some analysis of some games, not not like digital boundary analysis, but just more talking about why we love certain games. So stay tuned, and uh, thanks for listening in. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you soon.